0: Welcome to the Brown Posey Press Show, part of the BookSpeak Network, a program dedicated to independent and self-published authors. This show will examine new and unique works of literature, learn about their creators, and discuss the industry. And now your host, Tori Gates.
1: My guest today is Dustin Nispel, author of The Road Home, a collection of poems. And I have to begin because you used to run an art gallery in York, PA, and you let a strange little duo called the Dharma Fools sit in there and play and let me read from my first book Parasite Girls and uh Jen and I never forgot you for that
0: thank you i appreciate <laughs> that it was an honor
1: well no it was it was so much fun and i mean it has been a few years and uh since you and i have seen each other but here we are in the Harrisburg area and This collection, The Road Home, now you indicated before we went on that you had this together in 2019 before the pandemic. Uh, Why the delay in putting it out, or was it just a feeling? What was it for you?
0: Well, so uh, I guess one of my main reasons for a delay was a lot of the venues shut down, right? So there was no in-person gathering with um, COVID-19, obviously. A lot of the in-person readings had... Closed down. It took a while for them to go virtual even. Um, So that took a big chunk out of the market for me to be able to market the book Mm -hmm. as well as reading. I, I love reading my stuff live. So without having that opportunity, I said, well, why don't we just wait a minute and just see what happens here? Plus, you know, the world was kind of chaotic. I have a family. We were juggling uh, schooling with the kids because we were homeschooling um, during most of um, 2020 uh, once the school shut down. So juggling that and work life was a challenge in and of itself. So I I did put it on ice for a little
1: over a year. Mm -hmm. And that is something I want to ask about is so we go along here with regards to the the pandemic and also the live events and those coming back and that sort of thing. Uh, Also, the Road Home is such a such an intriguing title. What uh, what was on this road if I may ask?
0: So that's a really great question Tori. So I decided to name this The Road Home. So the first so I'm also a tarot reader. I'll I'll lead in with that, right? So the first poem in the book is The Fool, right? Which yes. is the first card of the major arcana in the tarot deck. You also have death in there. Um, now, it's kind of an innuendo, because my first book was called The Tower, which was like the collapse. My life was collapsing at that time, right? Right. The road home is finding myself again, right? Being thankful for what we have, the experiences that we go through trying to get to where our happiness is. Because we yes. were talking about happiness earlier. That's our, that's our end goal, right? Um, and sometimes that road is not easy, right? So... Um, It has the trials and the tribulations in there, but it also has the bliss and elation as well. And I think that kind of sums up the journey of the person from the fool to the world Mm -hmm. in the major arcana.
1: And how many years does this collection span? How how long? Um, So this is roughly
0: six to seven years of some of my work. Now, I wrote this one differently. So the tower... I was primarily slam spoken word artist, right? So I wrote The Tower, yes, for me, but audience-based, right? Because mm-hmm. I was really into the performing arts a little more back then and the slam work. So I wrote that for my audience. The Road Home, I wrote for me, right? So that was the difference. You, know, you get to a point in your life where you're like, I really don't give a crap what anyone thinks about me, right? <laughs> I'm going to put down what makes me feel good, whether it offends somebody, sorry it offends you, you know, that's life. Um, but there's a few poems in here that I was reluctant to put in just because, like, there's one about my father, you right. know, I wasn't sure how the family was going to take that. But I ultimately yeah. decided to put it in um, because it may help somebody that may be going through that same. Uh, situation to let them know that they're not alone even though I may catch a lot of flack back home from it um, I think it was worth putting some of those pieces in
1: there and that's really kind of at the sea it's like a seed of a lot of what we write because you know for me my writing's my therapy a lot of the time mm-hmm. and it's the same thing with a lot of my stories or a lot of my characters it's about look. I'm not trying to use a silly term like relatable, but I hope that people relate to some of the things that my characters go through because they are real things, right. and some of them are ugly and some of them are painful, but some of them can be really funny or really um, joy-inducing, joy-causing, or something like that. So I'm like, um, and and the the cornerstone of our of my old band Altira was very well said about it by Beth Stein, my co-founder, said altera means alter- alternate levels of light, and this kind of fits for poetry, but this fits for anything, really, in that we do not stay in one state all the time. Right. It's we go through different levels of emotion, we go through different levels of experience, and that makes us who we are. It's you can't you cannot stay one thing all the time, or something is really wrong. So... I've always felt that that's what a lot of it is, and from reading those, and I looked at some of them a little more deeply than others. I confess, but I was like, there was there was that there was that feeling of you are you're doing this is this is this is your self therapy this is your thing, yeah. and I was too. I was like I I once read tarot many years ago and. The rider deck was the one that I started with, and yes, you know, the fool, all of these are familiar to me. And the thing with death, you know, people would ask me about it, and I said, Death does not mean somebody's going to die or that Correct. you will die. No, this is an end, possibly a beginning, something yes. new, something different. Absolutely, and uh, but yeah, um, I guess the one thing, the only way that people are going to be able to really figure this is if you read some of this. Would you kindly read something just sure your way? All right,
0: so I'm. I guess it would only be fitting that I read the poem I wrote for my friend who passed away in 2019, um, who the book is dedicated for, mm-hmm. um, Tyler Scott Beaverson. He was not just my tattoo artist, but, um, just a great vessel of light, you know, uh, in dark times. And, uh,
1: We all miss him here. And he definitely figured in uh, based on that writing, but uh, please, when you're ready.
0: All right. So this one is uh, Tyler Orbiter 1. I received the call around midnight, the 75th anniversary of D-Day. You had ascended like we always talked about. Your ethereal energies had left their vessel at an intersection bound south. You were, white light, emanating love, a bringer of hope, parted from the third dimension, and he is all wind and air. I am broken flesh and water. Tonight a team member has fallen with the sunset. You used to say ascension looks like an accident. You can choose fear or love, but love must take precedence. It leaves mourning in question. I don't know if my friend died or figured it out, if he finished his work for Prime Source, or if Gaia called him home. He said, big changes are coming. You will know when it happens, but soon. The electricity in the air has changed. The silence, thriving and ominous, anchors in the lungs, hold body in place. It finds one stolen from dreams and hunger. It finds the chest tight, purging water. It bends the light into shapes of you. As though the mind cannot find reason for a world without you, words fall in gravity, jargon gargled in water and rage, lower to the ground than usual, swelling against levees. I am motion and yearning. I am a silver thread of source thinning. I am force in defiance and I am nothing. Vibrations and fluid that dance and love and lose and live and die. I am a single experience on the other side of life. I am a scribe recording it between shadow and candlelight, translating the loss of a star that brought warmth to cold worlds and outer reaches into orbit. I am observing the chasm and distance, the fray of our bond, the thumbprint of our vibrations. I still exist, and I am still learning.
1: Wow. To hear you do it gives justice to it, and that's exactly what I, always, I want the listeners to know because it's like trying to read someone's poetry unless you're listening to it live or you're hearing a recording of it or something is is something else that's awesome thank Thank you. you um and this is the thing too with all of these there's all elements it's almost like chapters of the story because you know we talked about you know you talk about this fellow tyler and tell us more about him before we move on because there just seems to be so much there
0: yeah man um well in um june of 2019 um he was in a motorcycle accident uh southbound on route 74 in york county Mm -hmm. and um you know it's funny because i think when i was coming into myself as a man and just trying to find my way in the world so was he and we kind of did that together um whether it was conspiracy theories that we were digging into or um just the the immense pursuit of knowledge that that man had he was he was okay with being wrong right and in fact he loved being proved wrong because men he still had more work to do right he was obsessed with the afterlife and um so was i so we've always um gone back and forth about these ideas of the other side, whether it be uh, Paranam Yogananda's uh, book of, uh, autobiography of a yogi or, um, you know, the galactic butterfly, you know, there was just all these different theories and cultures that we both exposed ourselves to. And we created kind of this spiritual bond, you know, and it was one of those ones like, Tyler and I don't have a lot of pictures together because when we were together it was just so intense conversation and uh i mean no man has ever hugged me like that and i think that uh the world is just not the same without him
1: it, that's like losing it's like losing a brother it's like losing somebody even closer than that isn't it it is it is And I think about that because, you know, uh, losing my brother uh, not that long ago, and I think about that, and I think about also, it's more like not even the people who have left us so much, but it's the people who have just kind of drifted away or gone away from us. Yeah, We were talking about that before because I used to live in York. I lived there for many years, and so many of our friends have just kind of, it's not that they've left deliberately it's sort of like life took them their way life took us our own way and stuff like that yeah and and so it's like for me it's kind of like i sometimes think about some of the folks and i see i see a couple of them every now and then but it's fun to just kind of go back and think about where we were then and it's like wouldn't it be fun to get everyone back together and see where we are now it's like what's happened yeah where we've been i mean i haven't seen you and good lord
0: it's been at least five six years yeah
1: yeah, <laughs> and it's it's that thing where it's like everybody sits down and hangs out, and it suddenly it's it's we're right back where we started. It's like we just picked up again, and I am getting that with regards to your book about some of these other elements here. Uh, one in particular, these seeds, the references to the trees. Yes, tell me about. There's there's the other part of my question of like these little subjects that just pop up and suddenly you're thinking we've got a story what is that or I've got a, I've got something to write yeah. tell me about that one so um these
0: seeds is actually a sonnet um so i typically write um free form um but I challenged myself with this one, right? I always like a challenge, you know. I like <laughs> to prove to my editors that I can write other things other than just free verse, okay? So um, this one actually took third place at one of the writing contests at York Fest um, for a Structured uh, Sonnet. Um, this one is kind of just that that idea that, you know, take care of, what you have now you know nurture the seeds that you have and pursue them because we're all gonna get old one day and we're all gonna die no one gets out of here alive right so it's important to cherish the time that you have from the time you're born to the time you die because all of your life's in that dash right Mm -hmm. so um, and it takes me back to like I know it's ridiculous but I saw this one really powerful meme years ago and it like really stuck with me and it it's like um, you know life and death have been in love, longer than in words have, uh, longer than words can describe. Life sends countless gifts to death, and death keeps them forever.
1: Right, right. You
0: know, and that that just sticks with me. You know, because not that it, now, if you believe in the afterlife, which is fine. You know, yes, reuniting with your loved ones and that type of thing is is always uh, a good thing. But I think that until you know right and you don't know until you die you know what's on the other side um so that's kind of what these seeds is um you know it's kind of that grasping your your goals now you know take care of these seeds the futures they hold right right Right. because the gifts that you're given now are for use now they're not to wait on they're not to wait and um Know, and I can read it for you for your audience so Please that you do. can kind yeah. of um, get a, a sense of what we're talking about here. These seeds. I am the hard bark of winter, frozen, stiff with aged rings marked by knives and axes, weeping roots lean from the path I've chosen, grown of maple under the moon waxes. I stretch my limbs to sky, the life giver. Holy is my sole purpose in this dirt To hold and breathe with the sound of river In rotation, the atom of this earth. But sadness from sap, elusive from bark Shows I am beautiful, but weathering. Human blade bites into burl-knotted heart I splinter, lean to path in severing take care of these seeds the futures they hold all things must die and we all must grow old so and i think it's good to know for the audience so like you know the weeping roots lean from the path i've chosen so we all have choice in life you know Mm -hmm. we can take the easy way you know and um... just the safe way you know and go to do our nine to five and come home and do it all over again every day and i think that sometimes taking that leap of faith and taking the the path less chosen right it, though it may be more difficult is more rewarding um at the end you may be beat up a little more from it but there is purpose in that um so that poem is about finding your purpose through um the hard times and and realizing your memento mori right that that death is always watching you know um and to do it now and not wait
1: my guest is dustin nispel on the brown Posey press show we'll be right back new this month from sunbury press brian kano's grains of sand tales of a paranormal life just released under the roswell press imprint You've seen Brian on Paranormal, Caught on Camera, and The Curse of Oak Island. Now you can read his memoir of his many strange encounters with the paranormal. We're back with my guest Dustin Nisbel on the Brown Posey Press Show. And Dustin, you've given us a couple of these and... Uh, These poems, as I say, on the road home, continue to tell your story. But also, uh, we've also talked about some of the uh, references that seem to work their way through. Uh, I guess one of the things that I needed to ask about, and the more we speak, the more I remember knowing you some years ago, and how there's a few parallels for us, I guess. Uh, In terms of, like... uh, the references of the graveyard. That was one of the other ones that got to me was there's references about death. There's references about religion or spirituality or whatever. And it's not like these, it's not so much that you're, you're pointing fingers on them. Sometimes you seem to nudge them a little bit, but how do you find that level of what, what, what is the level of attack and what works? What, you know, when, how hard is it to, not hit hard when you think maybe I don't need to. Yeah, so there is um there's times where I want to
0: hit really hard. Like my editor was like, Dustin, that's too far. You know, we should probably trim that down a little. Don't don't put that one in there. You're going to scar people. I'm like, okay, you're you're probably right. So um, my book was uh, I had two really fantastic editors. So So Carol Clark Williams of York, um, York Poet Laureate Emeritus, and then also Christine Lincoln, who is my black mama uh, and also York Poet Laureate Emeritus. um, They were just phenomenal. So Carol really helped me out with grammar usage. um, And then um, Christine Lincoln helped me with the arrangement and the flow. Um, She did a fantastic job. So I think sometimes it's good to have that outside verse to say, hey, you're going too far here, you know, Um, because me, I like intensity, right? You know, and my writing, I like, especially when I'm writing for me you know which is what this book was like this was my cathartic release so um and there is a lot of like graveyard and burial references in there but that's what I do for a, a living so I'm a cemetery worker mm-hmm. um so I'm a, I'm surrounded by loss and death every day when I come into work um and so some some of these poems help me um leave some of that baggage at the door um but it's also important I think because this is my road home, right? This is it, it may not be everyone's road home, but this one is mine. And um, I think that uh, having a good outside editor to put you in check is extremely
1: important. And I've had a couple of very good ones myself. And that is something I definitely want to ask about, too. Your, If you have a good editor, the good editor doesn't pull their punches. Yeah. That's the way I look at it. And I'm thankful to have had a couple who have, have said the same thing to me. They're like, uh, "Tory, um, this scene," um. <laughs> right? <laughs> and it's and then immediately it's like the fur on my back goes up. And it's like, "How dare you!" And then and, and then but then but then it's like, "Well, wait a minute, okay." And it's like now that I'm a little bit older, I'm more of like, "Okay, um, hmm, maybe I can write that better," yeah. and 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 not take the intent away of what I'm doing, but maybe just put some different words on it and uh it's a process isn't it (laughs) yeah and and one of the challenges i found too was so
0: primarily i'm a spoken word artist so um and like certain poems in this book like like white boy and saline they are very spoken word and translated to the page that way Yeah. whereas a lot of my other poetry is not like that on there so um Carol helped me uh, translate some of those spoken word pieces to read well on the page. Because when you're doing spoken word slam style, there's a lot of slang, there's a lot of abbreviations. Um, so it can be a challenge taking that and putting it on the, pa- on the page and not having the reader be like, Yo, what, what is he saying? I don't understand it. Because it's, it's just too long, run on sentences and everything else when you're doing spoken word style poetry and sometimes that does not translate well to the page. Mhm.
1: And it's it's fascinating to watch that. It is uh, I've never done anything like that myself, but it's is really something to watch somebody just go up and start telling a story. And sometimes it's like you say it's the it's the slam. It's I'm just going to freestyle this off the top of my head or Uh, as friends of mine sometimes will do, they'll go up and be storytellers. And it's like, okay, I know what I'm going to say, but I don't have a script. And I told this differently yesterday and I told this differently last month, but well, whatever happens, it's going to. Mm -hmm. There's a great energy in that though, because it's it's like music improvisation. It's like you're playing with somebody and I can't tell you how many times I was terrified to go and sit and play with someone who's way better than me and they want me to play. And I'm like, you want me to do what? (laughs) yeah and so there must be an incredible there's an incredible energy in that isn't there
0: yeah there is it's actually one of the best adrenaline rushes you'll ever have is performing at a high intensity at least for me poetry reading high intensity poetry reading um especially if it's a competition because then the pressure's really on yep you know and i think i'm an adrenaline junkie um And I really enjoy that type of adrenaline. I like roller coasters too. Don't get me wrong, but (laughs) it's a different kind of adrenaline. And um, the relief that you walk away with after the performance is just—I mean, you're on cloud nine, you know. And even if you didn't win, you know, you went up there and you you bled all over the stage for the audience.
1: Exactly. And the relief that you could have kept your mouth shut and not done it. But you went up and you did it anyway, and uh, that even if it's even if it's not that good in your mind or if everybody just sits there and stares at you at least you did it yeah and that's always that's that's where a lot of the fun really is because you don't and you, and if it's something you've done uh, I I love to tell this story because it's true and I'll keep it very brief because this is supposed to be about you I'm but sorry. um A couple of years ago when Searching for Roy Buchanan, which is the first book of the Sweet Dream series, came out, I went to a house party because Roy Buchanan was a blues rock guitarist, and I went to a house where there was a real deal, genuine article blues band playing in the basement of of my friend Michael Clorin's house, and they were fantastic, And Michael's been a good friend of mine. He was very supportive of me. And he said, well, hey, come on up and uh, we'll find a spot for you in the house. And you can sell. You can talk to people and stuff. And uh, he was going to give a little shout out to me. And I'm not sure if – I can't remember if we planned this or he just did it. I can't remember. (laughs) But he just uh, got up between sets. And this is a very small basement full of blues people, people who seriously dig the music, know the music, play the music. He just starts talking about me and said, this is this fellow here. This is his new book. He's going to read from it or something like that. And I thought, well, I've done this before. It shouldn't be fine. I got up there and then I looked and about one third of the people were still there, but they were all staring. (laughs) And it was like, And I was kind of like, if I'm going to die, I'm going to die hard. (laughs) (laughs) It was like, okay, am I going to get out of here alive after I say this? Because they might look at me and think I'm completely out of my head. But I basically read three bits. I explained who I was. I read the three bits and I got very polite applause and I did sell a few books. And and I was absolutely, utterly terrified that I was going to get kicked out of there because yeah. i just thought oh god they're not going to believe they're not going to get this these people are purists they're going to think i'm crazy mm-hmm. and they were really very complimentary and they were really nice and so it was like okay okay <laughs> so you feel like you did something right
0: sometimes it's hard to judge an audience too you know
1: yeah the uh, thing we have to now ask about like we we're talking about the york area your beginnings your roots that is the beginning for all of us in whatever we do. Tell us about where you were born, what part of the city. Tell us about the young Dustin. What was happening?
0: Oh, man. So um, so some of this is in my book. Like I said, I wrote this book about my life primarily. Um, and so I was born at York Hospital. Um, I lived in York County um, with my family. My parents are strict fundamentalists right so i grew up in a baptist pentecostal household um you know i always struggled to be accepted um by them just because i was different i was a weird kid you know but i enjoyed (laughs) weird you know i liked weird i still like weird and um you know, it was looked down on, and for a large part of my young adult life, I had to go to spiritual counseling, mm-hmm. um, where they prayed demons out of me and all that. So from like seven years till I was about 12 and finally said, you know, F this, this is ridiculous, right? You know, Um I still struggle with that with them. Like, I love my parents. Like, I, we reconciled. You know, I've been on my own since I was 17. They they kicked me out at 17, which is fine, you know. Um, but now I could have held a grudge, right? And um, I could have took that grudge to my grave. However, when I cross the Rainbow Bridge, I don't want to have any regrets, right? So um, that's why I made amends with them. And, you know, we're fairly close now. Um, but that was a huge trauma experience as a child going through that, always thinking that, you know, there's something wrong with me. It's, I'm I'm just not yeah. enough. I'm just not good enough to be accepted here. So I think that I wouldn't take any of it back though, because it made me strong, you know, to be able to endure what life has to throw at me now. Um, yeah, I wouldn't take any of it back. It was important because it
1: pushed me to this
0: spiritual recognition that I have today.
1: And may I ask, how do you identify spiritually? Because mine is not one thing.
0: Mine is not one thing either, my friend. So um, there's parallels in all the religions. Yes. Um, So there's always truth between the lines, Mm -hmm. is how I believe. And um, I have my own convictions on higher power, higher force, you know, um, prime source is how I refer to it, whether you want to call it God or or whatever, there is a force that guides us all to some moral code, right? Right. M- most of us, <laughs> not everybody. But, um, you know, I think that that essence that, you know, why does the grass grow every time you cut it down is that, you know, that's God, you know, at, while the flowers come back every spring to just soak up the light and die again that's god you know it's and that is the energy the source that's all around us it's it's you it's me it's the rocks it's the tree that's that's my that's my
1: experience and i've been it's funny because it's like i i never had a religious issue with my family but it was more i think it was more mundane in terms of Uh, what is our screwed up youngest kid going to do with his life? And needless to say, I think there was the idea that, well, he could, you know, he'll stay on the farm because he's not going to amount to much else. But I think, you know, I went to college, so it was like I was sent off to sort of see what, what could I find. And I think my folks were... It was one of those things where it was kind of like they saw me start to get into broadcasting at a, you know, almost out of the gate. I just got very lucky. I was very lucky and I had good teachers. But at the same time, I didn't know what I was doing. I was just fumbling along with it. And they thought, well, I think they thought it was going to be just something he does. But then they realized I was deadly serious about it because I realized this is is what is shaping my life. And I'm not... I think my father may have felt that I rejected what he offered and I'm still sorry about that because we never had that argument. We never had that fight. We never had that. What on earth are you doing? Why are you doing this? Or why are you making me do this? And I feel awful about that. But at the same time, toward the end of our lives, we did or his life and my doing what I needed to do, he understood and I understood where he was coming from. And it was just hard. It was just incredibly hard to just sort of, Say, look, I gotta go this way. Yeah. This is exciting to me. This is, as I told one of my teachers, this is the first thing that has been handed to me that has not been given to me. Yes. This is here it is, but you have to take it. Yeah. Get it. Yeah. If you want it that bad. And I think I've done that. I it's it's something we continue. But that leads to a question. Um you said we were about twelve when this these spiritual removal of the demons or whatever
0: they stopped around 12 so i was really young i was like i think i was like seven you know and i don't know if um you know what was going on there but my my parents thought i had demons quote unquote in me right so i went to these churches where they'd anoint my head with oil sometimes the whole congregation would be praying over me so this is a seven year old seven eight years old being told that there's something in you that's not you, right? And we're going to bring the entire church around to try and get this thing out of you that isn't you, right? So think what that does to a minor in that mental state. Like, it caused a great hole in me, you know? That, that must it,
1: have been terrifying.
0: It was. And no matter what I did, it was never good enough, you know? So, so that that struggle... <clears throat> You know, like I said, I wouldn't take it back because it opened my eyes up to um, certain things in organized religion that maybe I may not have seen prior. Um, not that I'm bashing organized religion. I mean, I think, I mean, you know, every human being has their right to worship God however they deem fit for themselves you know Mm -hmm. for me it's different than most other folks and that's all right too (laughs) well we
1: were we were all a bit different and uh, i i i went through well it was it was it was sort of like trying to be converted by fundamentalists or born-againers that you know i mean my mother was outraged when she found out about it but at the same time she didn't really do anything about it so i'm like oh you're leaving me for this so Mm -hmm. and then i went to I'm not Catholic. I went to a Catholic college. I never had one bit of trouble at my school. No one gave me any crap about the fact that I was a quote-unquote Protestant at the time. Nobody gave me any trouble at all. It was very interesting because at least I I was able to see something a little different. But then further on, I always knew there was something else. And we were talking about the connections. Krishna Das always talks about it. And it comes from Neem Karoli Baba of we are all one.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. We're all little parts to the puzzle, and we don't survive without missing pieces, that kind of thing. It leads me to the question of, you said you began, uh, notice you began writing when you were about 13. Where Where did the moment come about that said to you, all right, I'm going to do this? So it was a history class,
0: uh, I believe it was my freshman year. I had um, slept a lot in my classes, right, or skipped school <laughs> to go hang with my buddies here and there, right? Um, and I um, was assigned a topic to write a poem um, about Crystal Knocked, the night of broken glass, yes. right? And um, I wrote this poem. I actually put a lot of effort into it because I was like, well, I need a good grade and you know, and then as I got through like the first and second stanzas, I was like, man, this is kind of fun. I kind of really like this. So then I put even more effort into it, right? Well, it was like four stanzas, four or five stanzas long. I submitted it. You know, Of course, you know, I got an A on it, and then the teacher came up to me and pulled me to the side. I think it was Mrs. Miller was her name. And um, she's like, this is really good. You should keep writing. I was like, I had a lot of fun. I should keep writing. You know. So then I started writing. <laughs> You know, sappy love poems and stuff like that that are somewhere and a have been at home never to be shown the d- light of day, you know. Um, but, uh, yeah, and I've been writing ever since. I've been um, reading my poetry out since I was like 16. Um you know, at different open mics. And even some of that stuff, I go back and I read and I'm like, God, I can't believe you got up there and said that stuff. <laughs> you know? But, you know, it was all part of the learning curve. You know, you had to start somewhere. And
1: You talk about certain people, like, uh, what kind of inspiration were you drawing from in your writing? Like, uh, other authors, other poets, music, maybe?
0: Yeah, so I draw a lot of inspiration from a lot of different. Um, avenues. One of my most favorite poets is Khalil Gibran, um, author of The Prophet, also the treasured writings of Khalil Gibran. Uh, amazing, amazing writer. And I think he was like the big inspiration for me to just like dive deeper into poetry. So I'm not just writing about a broken up girlfriend or, you know, whatever. Yep. It, it. You know, his story about Orphalese is just amazing. And I just really essentially saved my life and pulled me from a really dark place. And it allowed me to use my writing as a, a cathartic um, mechanism to move past some of the traumas I've experienced is, in, in my pre- previous childhood, but also the ones yet that I'm going to experience because trauma <laughs> doesn't go away. I mean, it's just, that's life, you know. We're always going to have someone that we're losing or we're going to have some difficulty in the road. Um, so definitely one of my all-time favorites music wise man I love old-school hip-hop and underground hip-hop a lot Um, you know I like rock music I have no favorite genre if the music is talented and good I'll listen to it so um, I listen from everything from hip-hop to heavy metal I uh, really like it all. It just depends on the music. I've been on this um, like uh, sh- sea shanties kick here late- lately just because I like the flow of it. So it just yeah. depends uh, on my mood. So my music t- caters to my mood just like my poetry.
1: I've been there. I mean, it's like music. Of, I've grown up with so much different music throughout my life. And old school hip-hop I was exposed to uh, in college and... You know, it was like, this is so completely different from anything I'd ever heard in my life. Mm. And where I grew up in Vermont, I mean, you didn't hear this. You didn't know what this was. And then all of a sudden, you're getting exposed to it and uh getting exposed to different forms of music. And then all of a sudden, you're like, oh, wow, this is like, this is just, I now have more paints to mess around with. And it's the same thing for me. I, people will think I'm insane, but it's like, I have gotten into lo-fi music. I've gotten into this sort of trippy down tempo just beats with like keyboards or guitar or something under it and it's like it's calming Mm -hmm. it's like there's been a period where I just started listening to it just because it was different and then I'm writing to that. And I was like, that's not normal. I'm writing to The Who. I'm writing to right. Buddy Guy or something. You know, something with a lot of oomph and a lot of power to it. And it just rolls. And sometimes I write to to Thelonious Monk and all of a sudden I'm listening to this and I'm like, I like it. It, uh, it And it it just sort of like it's like, it's like a nice little mood alteration, but it's not going to take away from what I'm thinking.
0: So I've found that I struggle to write with lyrics in my music, right? Because it kind of pulls my mind to those lyrics. Um, But I love writing to, like, violin, drone instrumentals. That is my all-time favorite, you know. I have to have headphones on because I have three kids. But, you know, with the headphones (laughs) on, everything else dies out and I can't hear it. And all I can hear is the drone of the music and then... My thoughts, I can hear. So I don't know about you when you're writing, but I can hear my thoughts when I'm writing. And um, I think that being able to hear your thoughts is important when you're writing because you're not just reading what you already wrote, you're thinking about it and hearing yourself in your head.
1: How quickly does that translate to the page, do you think? Uh,
0: from, well, so I have this writing technique that I use that I'll write... I won't pick my pen up, even if I have to write the same line over again six times until the next thought comes to me. So I'll write, I'll set a time limit. So say 10, let's, let's go easy, let's go five minutes. I'll write, once I get ready, and once I write that first letter, I just keep writing, even if I have to rewrite the line over or make up something like I can't think of anything to write right now. And then what I'll do is I'll take that, There's always diamonds in the rough, right? So then maybe there's only one really great line in that crap I've wrote down on that page, right? And then that'll be the basis of my poem. Like, you know, if... Because I'll be writing about a topic when I'm writing, most times. And then I'll translate that into the topic. Then I will take my time building the poem around that particular line that I really like, too. So... Or if it's something that's sentimental to me, like when my friend passed away, um, that I just, I write that poem as a poem initially versus just jargon on a page. Mm -hmm.
1: My guest on the Brown Posey Press Show is Dustin Nispel. He's author of The Road Home, a collection of poems. We'll be right back. Explore Sunbury Press books and find the work of talented authors in many genres. Ars Metaphysica is our spiritual, new age, and metaphysical fiction imprint. Among our titles works by Kareem El-Kusa, such as The Kabbalistic Visions and Phoenician Code. Chris Fenwick's The 100th Human, and Michelle Willard Hoffer's The ABCs of Narcissism, Soaring Past Toxic Partners. Find these and other intriguing works at the Ars Metaphysica tab and all works of nonfiction and fiction at sunburypress.com. We're back. Dustin Nispel is my guest, author of The Road Home, a collection of poems. Uh, Dustin, the next question for you now would be uh, sort of back to the tower Getting published and going through the process. Uh, tell us a little bit about uh, your experience with dealing with a different press. And now, I I think Road Home is, is self published. Correct. Um, so I, I I was writing and reading um, for quite a
0: while. Um, I believe 2014. Um, I was approached by um, what was at that time Poem Sugar Press, which was a local independent press publisher that specifically only published poetry um, of local and semi-local authors Um, I was excited because I'd never written a book before and I was like I want to do this right (laughs) so so it took (laughs) it took a while to get the kinks worked out of my spoken word poetry because like I said that's that's a tough translation especially then because it was a lot of spoken word poetry that I published in that book the press then uh, kind of translated or moved its title to Community Arts, Inc. Um, and then um, I believe they are no longer publishing. So when I, when I went to publish The Road Home, I asked myself, I said, okay, um, which I'm super grateful for Poem Sugar Press and Community Arts, Inc. They helped a lot of local authors get off the ground. So kudos to them. Um, they did a lot of great work while they were around for the community. Um, but I think when I was looking for publishers, I was like, okay, you know, what's well, the royalty payment, you know, cause that's the thing is, you know, I don't need the money from the book, you know, it's kind of, it's nice, but it's, it's, I wanted it to be in production forever. Right. So with the tower, I have to reformat and republish so that's why i decided to publish myself so it's den poetry publishing is the name but its um i'm self-published um it allows me more freedom you know um, i don't have to call somebody and say hey can you order me you know 60 copies of the book you know i literally just log in and order them myself at author cost you know which is really nice Um, and they arrive within a week or two. And then they also have print-on-demand on on Amazon, so they can get online and just order straight from there, Um, or they can order directly through me and get it signed, however they want to do it.
1: Mm -hmm. Now, I wanted to ask, uh, you talked about two of uh, the Poet Laureates, Carol Clark Williams and Christine Lincoln, and what uh, an impact they had on you. Um, The Poet Laureate concept and where these folks come from to become that and attain that to be in that sphere Mm -hmm. must be something. Tell me about the, I've not met these ladies.
0: So, um, Carol Clark Williams is an amazing poet, author, um, educator. Um, she has been my friend since I started reading live. Um, we met at, think it was poetry brew back when it was at sparky and clarks in york long time ago um and we've been friends ever since we've gotten a little closer here over the years um she is like a grandma to me you know she's just so sweet and and caring and when she was york poet Laureate, so basically the york poet laureate um works for the mayor. They do all things poetry, whether it's going into classrooms and educating children, or maybe there's an event where they need poetry representation for, they reach out to the poet uh, laureate to organize that and, and further the literary community in, in the city. Um, I actually applied for it um, right before I moved, and I didn't get the nomination, so I was like, all right, well, now I'm I'm going to move, you know, but if I would have gotten the nomination, I would have stayed. Um, but it was, uh, it's a challenging position. And it's, it, I don't know if it pays at all. I think it may be volunteer, it may be a small stipend, I'm not sure. Um, so when the folks that hold that title work really hard and closely with the community and the schools. Um, Carol did a fantastic job. And then Christine. Um, she's she's a um, nonfiction writer. Um, her book is called Sap Rising. I met her when she first took over the York Poet Laureate position. Ironically, there was a slam here in Harrisburg. I think it was called Cellist Lounge, and it was like a team slam. And basically, a riot broke out <laughs> over the slam, because my team was slamming. It was a tie with the Philly team, Uh-oh. and then we went into tiebreaker mode, so I, you know, said my poem. Crowd went crazy because it was a poem about it was a poem about weed. I mean, and, uh, <laughs> it, was, it was it was funny too. So it was like a good, it was a good poem. I I liked it, but the crowd went crazy for it. Then the other guys went up and they, they clapped and everything for them. But it was like clear audience winner, right? But then they gave the award to the other team, and the crowd like went ballistic. Like my friend. Soul Cry, Jocelyn Curse had to escort Christine Lincoln out of the building because people were like, "Oh my God, it was wild." That's what slams can get crazy. You know what I mean? So, so the uh, that's how I met uh, Christine Lincoln. Uh, York Poet Laureate Emeritus was at a, a slam riot. <laughs> <You know?
1: laughs> I, I, it just it just goes against the poetry reading concept that most people have. They just it's like. You know, it's like, it's like everybody sits there and they applaud politely. And then, then somebody comes up and it's, and, and you know, they, I will read my, my poem. And then the other person comes up and it's, I am going to read like Sylvia Plath and use words.
0: <laughs> slams are way different animals than your coffee <laughs> shop readings. Uh, I mean, they can get intense. Wow. Uh, I've seen folks get booed. It's kind of like, it's kind of almost like a rap battle, not as intense as that, but has those uh, characteristics.
1: <laughs> well, and that, again, that just lends to the to the energy of it and to the fun of it and the fact that you don't know what's going to happen. Right. You don't know what people are going to say. You don't know what could occur. Right. And so that's, that's pretty awesome. Uh, in the time that we have here, uh, I want to also ask about this. You ended up in Macedonia a few years ago. I did. You did a reading. You and and Jessica did a reading. Tell us about how did you get there? What was this for?
0: So there was this um, 100,000 Poets for Change event that was going on in Reading. And my fiancé at the time and I um, were reading poetry together. We actually did a piece, one of my pieces, we performed it together that time. Um, well, Craig Chury, who is was at the time a uh, poet laureate for Reading, I believe, and also um, poet laureate emeritus for Totova, Macedonia. I could be wrong on that't don't, don't quote me on that, but I, he had reaches in there. So every year um, Schape um does an international poetry festival based around um, the um, poet Naeem Frazier right so it's called the days of naim date De- a naimet right i mm-hmm. um, it's to honor him and his work so we bring he brings poets from all over the world you know japan austria um australia the united states uh and me and jessica mm-hmm. were selected to go represent the united states wow. over there which was amazing you know um i was excited about that all we had to do was pay for a plane ticket and get there right um so we did that it was a really incredible experience. Culture shock. Also not a fan of flying, um, especially on those two-row airplanes. <laughs> Definitely not my thing. Um, won't ever get a window seat again if I fly. Um, <clears throat> but, uh, you know, it was, um, it was amazing, man. I met some really great folks. I learned about all kinds of different cultures. Um, we did end up bringing one of the top awards home for the United States for Best Poem. Um, called the Candle of Naim, um, and it was just it was just a really great experience. I met a lot of really good people, and thankful for um, Craig Churry for that nomination.
1: It's fantastic, and you also paint. You had an art gallery in York, which is where we mm-hmm. played, and. So briefly, can you describe your painting? Do you have a style? Do you have a what do you what do you call yourself?
0: So I guess I, I guess technically I'm a surrealist, right? Um, so I, I love surrealism. It's probably one of my favorite art forms of all time. I've worked in all mediums. Um, I prefer acrylic, um, believe it or not, over oil, um, just because I'm impatient. Okay. <laughs> I don't like to wait for the oil paints to dry. Um, so I work in acrylic. I've worked in mixed media too um but again my paintings are a lot like my poetry um I paint my emotions you know and um however I'm feeling at that time I like much like my poetry I like my art to have a message which is why I like surrealism so much because you can say anything with it it's not just a vase with flowers in it right it's there's something else in that vase, right? So mm-hmm. the, that's why I like surrealism because there is no limits on the imagination with the paintings.
1: Mm-hmm. So, what is next for you uh, in terms of the road home? What are, are you working on something next? Um, so, right now, um, I am
0: currently um, not really working on writing right now. I have I've actually been. Um, working on some other things. So I officially submitted my application for the Army National Guard last week. So, um, you know, it's just something that I've had a calling to do and can't get it out of my head. So uh, I'm going to follow my heart. It's gotten me this far. All right. So... So that's my next journey. I like to write my own book. (laughs) All right. Well, you have
1: have definitely done that. And once again, how can people get The Road Home?
0: So um, you can find me on Facebook, Dustin Nispel, N-I-S-P-E-L. You can also Google it, The Road Home, a collection of poems. Um, I am on Amazon. So if you just type in The Road Home, Dustin Nispel, it'll pop up there. Um, You can shoot me a message if you'd like a signed copy. Um, I believe it is, yes, it's 1295. Um, For the book, I also, the cover of this book is one of my paintings. um, And then I did all of the illustrations throughout the book as well. So this was 100% produced by me.
1: Well, one of the last questions I always like to ask is, what advice do you give to someone who has an idea or would like to do this or is inspired to try but isn't really sure how to proceed? What do you tell them? Take the risk.
0: You know, and I know one of the biggest things that held me back for a long time was worried about failure, right? Well, if I put all this effort in, you know, no one's going to buy this book or no one's going to like it. You know, um, you know, I put out a chapbook when I was younger and um, it's called Transiens Ascendum. And that was really my first Self-published book. It was, just, and I remember sitting there with my staple gun and stapling my pages together, you know. Um, but ironically, I run into people that still have copies of that book, and even though the poetry was awful in it, in my opinion, um, you have to start somewhere, and you have to put in the work too. I mean, you can't just publish a book and expect it to sell. You have to market it. You have to go to the readings. You know, you have to show your face because you're the best bookseller will always be you if you're the author you know and um i think as an inspirational piece i think folks really just need to if it is your dream to be an author you know do the research and don't let yourself tell you you can't you know there's lots of people out there that will tell you you can oh you can't make a living at this oh you can't paint you know someone told me i would never be able to sell a book and someone told me your paintings aren't very good you know but I owned an art gallery I've sold lots of paintings you know Um, I love proving people wrong and I think if you go through life just accepting all the naysayers and everything you will one day look back and regret um, that decision so look at it as you don't have a lot of time left you better do it now
1: And that says it all. Well, my guest today has been Dustin Ispel, author of The Road Home, A Collection of Poems. Good to see you again. Thank you for this. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Tori. I appreciate you, sir. You've been listening to the Brown Posey Press Show with your host, Tori Gates.
0: Find his works, including Searching for Roy Buchanan, Call It Love, A Moment in the Sun, and Lie from the Cafe, along with more independent authors of fiction and nonfiction at sunburypress.com. Thank you for listening. This is the Bookspeak Network.